This is the Planet Money Podcast. This is our, what is it, our fifth Emergency Crisis Week podcast of this very tumultuous week. Today is September 19th. This week we're giving the time because things change so quickly. You need to know when we record these conversations. This is at 11.39 a.m. Eastern Time. I am very, very happy that Raghu Rajan is joining us. Um, Raghu, hello. Hi. Hi. Uh, uh, Raghu Rajan was the uh, chief economist at the International Monetary Fund. Uh, he's now a professor at the Graduate School of Business at the University of Chicago. And he's going to walk us through a lot of the finer points of this crisis. And he's going to answer a lot of your questions. We're also joined, of course, by Laura Conaway. Hi, Laura. Good morning. So, Laura, do you want to just start with, by ans- asking some of our listeners questions? Well, yeah, the big one that's coming through, and this one's actually coming from listeners. I got it today in an edit meeting with people at NPR. Everybody wants to know, where is the new bailout money coming from? This money, they're saying a trillion dollars now to do this kind of super bailout and buy out lots of bad assets. Whose money is that? Where's that money coming from? Well, first, we don't know what the form of this bailout will take? Will it be a buyout of assets? Will it be capital infusions and so on? But initially, the money is coming from your pocket. It's uh, it's taxpayer money, which is going to be invested. Hopefully, uh, it will not be invested at too high a price. And uh, the um, government will hope that eventually, when asset prices recover, it will make some money off this. But uh, initially, it's it's your pocket, and uh, it could uh, it could be wasted. So we are about to make an involuntary, by we I mean the taxpayer, an involuntary investment in Wall Street, a big one. From all counts, yes. And when you say you hope our money will get invested but not at too high a price, you mean not at too high a risk? Well, both. Uh, from the little that we can glean so far, and uh, the weekend will tell us more, um, the government is to, going to buy uh, the, the two sets of proposals, uh, which are quite distinct. One is where the government buys some of the toxic waste that sits on bank balance sheets. And uh, the question there will be, at what price will it buy? Because in many of these cases, there is no market for these assets. If the government overpays relative to their fundamental value, uh, essentially that difference is a gift from the taxpayer to Wall Street. If the government uh, sort of holds on to these assets and over time, uh, you know, these assets recover in value, well, the government has made some money on behalf of the taxpayer. So the real question is, what price will it get those assets at? The second alternative is for the government to buy uh, shares in these firms directly rather than buy the assets that these firms hold. And in that case, the question is, what price does it get the shares at? And uh, in the long run, again, do these firms do reasonably well so that it makes money off it? We've been talking an awful lot here at Planet Money about how people bought and sold things that that they don't know what they're worth and that in a lot of cases they think are actually worth less. Mm -hmm. So it seems to me that if, if an object is worth less and the government buys it for anything, it's already paid more than it was worth. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Well, so here's the issue. Some of these assets, uh, currently there is no market for these assets. Nobody's buying, nobody's selling, right? Yeah, they're junk. Uh, Well, there is some value, except nobody knows what it is, right? And if you take the market value, and uh, because there's no market, well, 
some people would say the market value is exactly zero, which okay. is what you just said. Yeah. And therefore, anybody paying even a cent for these things is overpaying, right? The other view is, well, people are too scared to buy into this stuff. Uh, they are certainly risky, but there is some value. And the government can come in because it's, it's risk-averse. It has an infinite pocket, or at least infinite as far as the taxpayers go. And, um, you know, it can buy into the stuff, create a support price. And uh, because these assets truly have value, that support price is, uh, is not going to be overpaying. It's, uh, and uh, so long as it's set low enough, uh, eventually the government will make money when these asset markets recover. Is that Henry Paulson calling? <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. That's actually my phone, and um, so I apologize. I keep turning it off, and it keeps ringing. Um, that's our boss calling, um, but we'll, we'll leave that aside. We'll call our boss back later. Raghu, I'm curious about sort of where the debate is in your profession among economists. Is your sense that pretty much everyone agrees this is a good idea, we have to do it, or is, there, is this fairly hotly debated right now? Well, I would say that uh, the, there is a sense that something has to be done, but I would say many people are very queasy at the idea of governments entering markets and actually buying up assets there, setting a price when, when in fact the market is unwilling to set a price. Uh, and, and for the reasons that Laura mentioned, uh, people are very worried uh, first about uh, you know, setting the wrong price and therefore offering a ton of money to people who made the biggest mistakes. Uh, and the second is the concern that maybe this is the wrong way to, to call an end to the, the problem. All you've done is interfered uh, with the market for a little while, a lot of speculators unload their bad assets onto the government. And then once the government runs out of money, because you need a pretty deep pocket and it's not clear the government wants to spend the amounts required, then uh, the fall in prices resumes. And all you've done is wasted taxpayer money at that point. There are hedge fund investors and other investors who are thinking, oh boy, this is a huge opportunity. We can make a fortune off the United States government right now. Well, that's where it it really matters how this thing is structured, right? Do you go directly to the firms and say, I'm going to buy your assets from you? Uh, or do you say, I'm going to buy it on the open market? If you say, I'm going to buy it on the open market, uh, well, there are lots of potential speculators who've essentially bought up some of these assets in anticipation uh, and will buy these assets in anticipation in order to unload it on you, uh, especially if you set a higher price than, than what the market will bear. So it sounds like what you're describing is a situation where if the U.S. government goes in a little bit here, they could really get skunked. They kind of got to go in all the way. Quite possibly, exactly. And, and this is where uh, it starts getting dangerous, right? Uh, how much are you willing to go in? And uh, at what point are you going to stop and say, we just can't do it? People make the analogy to what is called the Resolution Trust Corporation, which was a entity set up by the government to take over the assets of failed savings and loans corporations in the 1980s. There's a big difference between that proposal 
uh, which which was thought to be effective in this one. In that situation, the government effectively owned the savings and loans associations because they had gone bust, and the government was the insurer. And so all these assets came onto the government balance sheet, and the government didn't have to set a price. It, they, it just had to figure out how to sell these assets slowly over time, and that's what it did quite effectively. In this case, you have to buy assets. And then the question is, how much do you buy? Who do you buy from? Where do you buy? And none of those questions have been answered yet. And and I don't know. We'll know at the end of this weekend what the answers are. Do you see smart ways for the government to do this? Well, I, I mean, my own personal view is that the real problem we have in the industry is a shortage of capital. And the real question we should be pondering is how do we recapitalize these financial firms, making sure that it's hey, not... Laura? Yeah. Sorry, I'm so sorry. Ellen keeps calling me. I think I just... You got to grab Do you want to just take over the podcast? Yeah, sure. Okay. I'm sorry. Would you mind backing up just that, that just yeah. starting again? Yeah, I, I, I think the real problem in this industry is a lack of capital. Uh, and uh, what we need to figure out is ways of recapitalizing this, uh, this industry. Now, why, why is that an important problem? It's important for the, uh, the average listener because when the banking system is short of capital, what they're going to do is try and shrink the kinds of things they do. So if they're making loans, they're going to shrink loans. If they're offering credit card uh, loans, they're going to shrink that, mortgage loans, all that. That is what people fear the most, that the credit contraction that is going to take place as a result of the shortage of capital is going to impinge every household and thereby create a, a recession, which is much deeper than the current recessionary conditions we have. So how do you how do you stave that off? Uh, you try and recapitalize the industry. Now, there are three ways of doing it. One is the government comes and recapitalizes. The second is you find new shareholders, sovereign wealth funds here and there, um, private equity funds to put up capital. And the third is you ask your own shareholders to put up more capital. Now, I would say the the government putting in capital is really the the last thing we should try uh, when we've tried everything else and it hasn't worked. And that's the first thing we're trying. Unfortunately, again, because of all the things you said, election year need to be seen to be doing something, lots of politicians jumping on. That's why we're doing it as the first thing. Uh, now, we've tried getting outsiders to try and pony up capital a little bit, but we haven't coerced the banks to do it. Meaning other countries like China. Exactly. China, Korea. But the 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 I, I think the uh, solution we haven't tried so far is asking the shareholders to pony up a little more. Certainly, it's in their incentive because if you've got a fragile bank, if you put more capital, uh, it's it's going to make it more solid and reduce the chances of it going bust. But it's, even for the well-capitalized banks, and this is where I think the focus should be, if they have more capital, then they can do what people want the government to do. They can go out and buy these uh, assets, and I would far rather have Goldman Sachs buying, you know, the strange assets that it created than having some government bureaucrat decide that they want to buy those assets. Uh, my sense is Goldman Sachs will have a far better sense of what to pay. So I would propose that we do it in two steps. We ask all these guys to stop paying dividends. That will at least stop the leakage of capital from uh, these financial firms. And second, I would say go out and raise more capital from your own shareholders. There's a very effective way of doing it, which is called a rights offering. Essentially, go to your shareholders and say, I'm going to give you one more share at half the market price. 
And uh, shareholders really have no alternative but to put in that money. And this would recapitalize a whole bunch of strong institutions, uh, get J.P. Morgan, get uh, Wells Fargo, get Goldman to do it. And there's a whole lot of excess capital now sitting on their balance sheets, which they can then use to revive some of these markets which are defunct. So the message we're getting from the government right now seems to be that the firms aren't able to save themselves. And you're saying poppycock. Yes, I'm saying we haven't even started doing the coercion which would be needed to get private sector initiative. Now, a lot of firms are unwilling to raise capital because they're worried about the signal it'll send. If I try, if I'm Citibank and I say I need another $20 billion of capital, my shareholders are going to say, oh my God, what do they know that we don't know, right? But if the government says, all of you guys go out and raise capital, and I'm telling you, you have to do it, uh, then they're going to go and Ask the shareholders, why go to the government for capital before you've gone to your own shareholders? So can I just say back to you what what I'm hearing is that because we're in in an election year, because of political pressure, we are about to embark on a $1 trillion investment of taxpayer money in the Wall Street system that you think is actually the worst of the three possibilities on the table. That's we're actually about to do it. Uh, yeah. Now, it, the, the, the reason why it's comforting to do it is you know it's going to happen. There's no risk, right, in the sense that uh, if you put it, enough money into the banking system, you will revive it. Uh, and, uh, you know, taxpayers bear the cost over time and all the issues of bad incentives and moral hazard that people keep talking about is, is, is postponed to the future, right? It's not going to happen on my bailiwick. Um, so the incentive for politicians with short-term horizons is to do it the fast and efficient way, no matter what the cost. But the public should be worried about the long-term cost of doing this and ask the question, have we tried other solutions? Are we panicking too early? Uh, and uh, and uh, my sense is, uh, you know, uh, we are doing all these things in a state of panic. This proposal, whatever it is, and we, I have to remind you, we we don't know what it is. So I'm I'm talking about the the various bad alternatives that could emerge. There could be a clever design which deals with some of the issues I've talked about, right? And in that sense, I would postpone judgment till we actually see what it is. But I am worried that uh, what we've jumped from is a situation where, you know, in the case of Lehman Brothers, the government took a courageous stand, and I think a well-deserved one, of saying, uh, well, we're not going to bail out every firm which which gets into trouble. These guys have had, had enough time to raise capital. They should have raised capital. They didn't. They created their own funeral. That's one view. And then two days later, we bail out AIG, which again, could be justified on some grounds because it was too connected to fail. But then another day later, we talk about bailing out the whole system. Where did we jump from refusing to bail out Lehman to bailing out the entire system? Uh, We need some answers. All right. uh, Can we shift gears just a a little bit? Now that you've painted such a clear picture for me of how this is, in fact, the taxpayers' money being spent, a lot of my people want to know about the eventual effects on the economy of this kind of thing. And if it is the taxpayer money, I think we can all sort of understand that a trillion dollars invested, let's call it invested right now, in Mm -hmm. the market, let's say we get that back and more, but that trillion dollars, we would be saying, you you can't use that right now 
for roads and schools and troops and and so on that all those expenses would have to be either cut or picked up from somewhere else well uh, not necessarily because the government could issue more debt uh, and so uh, those trillion dollars will sort of uh, be financed by the government and won't necessarily come from cutting its uh, its budget. But it does, you know, raise questions of eventually making the choice between certain programs which do benefit people versus not doing those programs because eventually it has to be paid for. One person wrote in to say, what's this got to do with the price of milk? Um, at this point, nothing. It it could, in a roundabout way, affect the price of milk in the following sense, that if, in fact, the economy collapses because large financial institutions uh, collapse, that would really have a serious effect on, uh, you know, the ability of dairies to produce milk and so on, uh, their ability to get financing from the local bank, and could have uh, effects on both the production of milk and the pricing. But I think we're some way from that as of now. How does this affect sort of ordinary walking around life? What are the sort of trickle-down or ripple-out effects? Well, if the government succeeds in refloating the financial system, then I think what it will suggest is less of an effect over the next couple of years in terms of access to loans. So student loans will not become excessively costly, mortgages will not become excessively costly, and they'll be relatively easy to get. Uh, Loans to small businesses will still be available. If, however, a substantial portion of the financial system is troubled and tries to shrink its balance sheet, then you could have what is called a very severe credit crunch in which case they'll become unwilling to lend, and small businesses will have to shut down some of them. And, you know, ordinary retail credit that many of us benefit from, credit cards, uh, student loans, and so on, will become uh, harder to get. So it will impact the ordinary citizen if this gets out of hand. It feels like in moving toward a hypothetical intervention by the government that there are a couple of missed opportunities. One is the opportunity to get Wall Street to reform itself by making Wall Street go out to its own shareholders and saying, we need to recapitalize, we've got to get more money into these lending institutions. And the second is that, in a broader sense, the trillion dollars is really, it's a if you divide it up by all sorts of taxpayers, by all the taxpayers in the country, it, what they're kind of hoping is that we won't notice it quite so much at the granular level of each household. But there's a missed opportunity in terms of what else could be invested in with that money. The real issue is absolutely what you just said, that uh, could we have taken action earlier? And to some extent, I think uh, all of us, and I have to admit hindsight is twenty twenty, have been uh, surprised by the the level of the problems and the virulence of the market once it recognized the problems. So I would say, uh, yes, there is a regulatory lapse. They should have asked these banks to recapitalize more forcefully early on. They did not, and so it has come back to the taxpayer. But I I would also say that uh, many of us, including academics who don't have uh, skin in the game, thought that this was actually a crisis, but not as deep as we have just seen it become. Raghu Rajan, thank you so much. You're most welcome. And that's Planet Money for today. Wow, what a place. Adam's off talking to our bosses 
at NPR, and we're trying to figure out what in the heck this mega bailout might mean. Thanks for listening in. Friday, September 19th. Take care.